Welcome to the Sui Generous Show, your unique perspective on all things civil rights and the criminal injustice system. With Eric Amaro, I'm attorney Brian Jones, criminal defense and civil rights warrior. Today in segment one, we'll be talking about COVID, the uptick in cases and how it affects the criminal injustice system. We will also be talking about in the news, police accountability and some laws and new bills that are pending in the Ohio General Assembly to increase police accountability and make sure that the deaths over the last few weeks don't happen in the future to innocent citizens. As promised in segment two, we'll be talking about no-knock warrants, the Breonna Taylor case, and how the fourth and second amendment are in conflict with this controversial tool of law enforcement. Erica, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Um, I feel like I'm I'm doing a lot better than uh, a lot of America is right now, though, because the news seems to be getting crazier and crazier every week. And I know we're going to be talking about what's happening in the jails, but I'm just astonished. So I can't wait to get to that part. You know, I was talking with my mom last week, and and I said, "Mom, you remember when I was a kid?" And you said you would slap me into next year? And uh, she said, yeah, I remember that. And I said, well, is it still possible? And unfortunately, she was not actually able to do that. <laughs> she had you fooled all those years. And now when there's a year that you'd like to be slapped out of, you're out of luck. It's not even available. It's not real. So Erica, did you see this week the House passed a police reform bill that will now be sent to the Senate, uh, the United States Congress, for consideration. This is really exciting news. I'm just so shocked about how fast all of this legislation is coming up. I mean, there are some things that just sit there for years, really important bills and issues to be handled by the law. And, and this is finally just racing to the top of the priority list. It is, Erica, and it seems like every day we're getting new bills out of various state legislatures. Congress is finally acting. This measure in particular was collaborated on between the Congressional Black Caucus and Senator Cory Booker over in the Senate, along with Kamala Harris, who are both prior Democratic presidential candidates. The bill bans chokeholds, it bans no-knock warrants in federal drug cases, and it would make federal funding for state and local governments contingent on them establishing similar practices. So using that power of the purse to dictate policy to the states. That is just so amazing. And it's, it's actually very uplifting to see some of the past Democratic candidates stepping it up like this and leading the pack in making these changes. Absolutely. And what I think is really great about this bill is that it also establishes a national registry of police misconduct so we can have a national database. You may recall from last week's episode that Governor DeWine in Ohio is hoping to introduce a similar reform and tracking system in the state of Ohio with police licensure requirements. So it seems like this registry, licensure, tracking is, is becoming really uh, important and actually getting some traction with the legislatures. The bill also tries to reform qualified immunity, 
which was a topic of our, our podcast here two weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, that, that's incredible. Now, I've heard that there are a couple of former police officers that are helping introduce bills. Is that true right there in Ohio where you are? That's true. Uh, Representative Stacey Abrams is co-sponsoring a 15-point plan that expands police and training, uh, diversity training, implementing a variety of disciplinary procedures that are going to try and circumvent the police unions. We've talked about that in prior episodes. Um, and creates a standardized disciplinary process. Now, everybody, everybody's seen the movie, the whole great series of movies, let's be honest, uh, Police Academy. And people commonly think that that's how law enforcement officers get into their job. You know, they graduate high school, and then they go off to police academy to learn how to become police officers. But the reality is, while Ohio does have a centralized, standardized process through the Ohio State Highway Patrol, most police officers actually only learn how to do the job through on-the-job training. They apply for the position, they're hired, they start going on ride-alongs, and that's the extent of their training. That is certainly not enough for people who hold lives in their hands day in and day out. Well, I mean, even for their own protection, that doesn't seem like nearly enough because they come across so many different types of situations with what they do. And I mean, even in some of the past interviews we've done, we've talked about how, you know, really now we've got them, they're, they're acting like not only police officers, but, you know, they're psychologists, psychiatrists on the, on the job and they're, uh, you know, helping take care of someone's kids. And, and it's just, you know, getting a cat out of a tree. I don't know if they do that as much anymore, but uh, I've sure, certainly seen that a lot in the movies. Um, so yeah, it just would seem to me that with all of the different important aspects of their job that maybe they didn't even intend to have to do, um, it, that they should have more training. Absolutely. Law enforcement officers are now obligated to respond to such a wide array of calls that used to be responded to by the family physician or the family clergy or the neighborhood who used to take on, um, you know, kind of the takes a village mentality. But what's happened in the last 10, 15 years, and really even the last 20 years since 9-11, is that police officers have become increasingly militarized and the scope of their work has drastically expanded. You know, we can even look back possibly as far as the war on drugs where police militarization really started and then just got a big shot in the arm after 9-11. Um, and now they're doing so many things and they're so ill-prepared to do it that it's really not fair to them. But because they want to increase their budgets and because they refuse to accept accountability for honest mistakes and honestly, some malicious conduct, what we're gonna have to do as a society is rein that executive power back in. Just like the founding fathers had to rein in the executive power asserted by the King of England before our, our country was founded, today is a day where we have to rein in executive power and put checks on it and limit it. I mean, it, it's, it's a great comparison that you're drawing. Um, and, and it's not too often that you see this happen in history to this extent. I mean, this is becoming 
just a war amongst the people in our, it, almost civil war might even break out over some of these issues that are coming out. And um, it's a very scary time. It is. And what makes it even scarier right now is that COVID has made a resurgence. Not only do we have uh, a nationwide and in fact a worldwide civil rights movement, but we have a worldwide civil rights movement in the midst of a pandemic. And while most countries are doing a really great job of quieting that disease and reducing the consequences of it, the United States does not seem to be doing quite as well. Erica, do you remember a couple of months ago before our podcast started and we were doing just YouTube videos exclusively that we talked about COVID crimes? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That was one of our most interesting interviews, I think, because a lot of the COVID crimes are happening over Zoom or, you know, honestly, there's a lot of looting going on now. Like, there's just, there's a lot of things happening because I feel like people are, are stuck in the house and they're just going stir crazy and they're not working. And so they have nothing to do but, but focus on their anger. And I, I don't know, I think things have just gotten way out of hand. Well, this week, Ohio's Department of Health reported a single day 892 new cases, which was the biggest single day jump since mid-April, since we were going on the initial spike. And the question that that arises for me, now granted, we've talked about Zoom bombing, we've talked about the increase in domestic violence, but what we see is that people are going out, they're not observing social distancing, they're not wearing masks, and there's a huge divide in the public between the people that believe COVID is in fact a real crisis and the people that believe that COVID is in fact a government conspiracy. And the question that that raises in my mind is, how is the government going to react? Will the government react with new laws mandating social distancing, making it a crime to not social distance? Will it become a crime to be in a public place without a mask on? I mean, law enforcement, or I'm sorry, the government already bans or requires people to wear clothes. Restaurants require people to wear shoes in their in their restaurants, what's the next step? And will this lead to a whole new rainbow of criminality that will be imposed upon the public? And we've already got lawsuits uh, by gyms, by resorts, by daycare centers, um, bridal shops, and some of those have been successful and some of them haven't been successful. So the law is in a massive state of flux right now and we're gonna keep a close eye on this issue in the coming weeks. Yeah, and, and I'm wondering how that's going to come out because like even the president has started holding rallies just last week and albeit some of them are, are they're not very well attended, there's just a bunch of people without masks screaming, which, you know, it unfortunately is the aerosol in, uh, in, in, from talking that is is what hangs in the air and helps spread this disease even more than the surfaces we touch is what the uh the science is saying now so to me that's an even scarier situation and so it 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 is absolutely imperative that people wear masks to keep this down and of course now with our 
um, you know, civil rights movement. Uh, we've got a lot of people getting together to protest. And I do see most of those protesters wearing masks. Um, but, you know, not all the masks are that great. And, you know, I don't, I don't know how, how good it is that we all have to get together. I mean, but, but we do need to fight for the rights of people. So it's, it's just a double-edged sword that's happening right now with everything going on at the same time. It would, be, it would be better if we didn't have the COVID crisis happening while we're also trying to fight for people's rights. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about what's going on with the jails, because you and I have spoken about the COVID-19 situation and the jails and how it is absolutely unfair to these prisoners where they cannot social distance. Not only that, they don't have the cleaning. Um, they don't have hand sanitizer. They certainly don't have the cleaning supplies to make sure that all of these jails are you know, working as best they can to stop the spread within the jails. And you know, the, a lot of people might think that, oh, you know what, that's no big deal. At least it's contained in the jail and the prisons. Um, but unfortunately, that is not the case because there are tens of thousands of people, maybe hundreds of thousands of people that work in and around jails, um, you know, from, from the people that actually work in the jails to, uh, you know, people that, the lawyers that go in to work with their, their, uh, their clients to people that are psychologists and psychiatrists and other medical workers that go in to work with the prisoners. And you know a lot of it, this is where most of the spiking is happening right now. I've heard in you know several of these states that are seeing uh, the biggest spikes this year, just in a day. It's not just Ohio. I've I've heard that this is also happening in Arizona and in Florida. And um, it, it's either the people that are not wearing masks and they're getting together to have parties, um, and then it's in the prisons as well. So. You know, I'm not sure what they're going to do, but it, it looks like they are not um, getting the prisoners out of the prisons fast enough. I mean, it is said that they were going to be, um, you know, taking some of those people that are near the end of their sentences and letting them off early or, you know, house arrest. Why aren't they doing this fast enough? Erica, it's interesting because Governor DeWine issued uh, an executive order to release essentially three categories of people from the prisons. The, the elderly, people who are nearing the end of their sentence, and people who are otherwise immunocompromised and at risk for the serious consequences of COVID-19. With one caveat implied to that, which would be that uh, individuals who are serving time for a violent crime would not be eligible. Unfortunately, Governor DeWine does not get to dictate to judges who is and who isn't released. And conservative judges across the state have been denying requests for judicial release en masse and refusing to release prisoners um, you know, from Ohio's prisons. And I think you touched, on, you touched on one part of this issue, which is the misery and the dangerousness of living in prison during this pandemic. And we are actively putting together uh, individuals who have suffered due to the lack of sanitation, the lack of appropriate personal protective equipment, the lack of social distancing, and people who have been unreasonably put at risk uh, for 
protection of their civil rights. And, and I would encourage anybody who's uh, got a loved one that's suffering in prison to reach out to our firm uh, because we are absolutely aggregating these cases and want to take action on this. You touched on a second issue, which is the jails. And across the nation, 200,000 people go into and 200,000 people are released from America's jails every day. So these are the local institutions that house people for short sentences, sentences that are less than a year, and house people who can't afford to make bond while they're facing a criminal charge. And not only are these accused persons, the incarcerated, going into and coming out of America's jails, but as you said, attorneys, corrections officers, healthcare workers, administrative personnel are also all going into and coming back out into our community from these institutions. And across the nation, the largest hotspots are America's jails and prisons. It, it should not be the case that you have been accused of a crime and sentenced to death in the cold cell because you can't afford bail. And likewise, even if you've been convicted of a crime, we don't sentence people to death for possessing small amounts of cocaine, committing petty larceny, or otherwise committing minor or even major crimes in America. That is not what this nation was founded upon, and it is not the nation that we live in today. Family members, supporters of those who are in custody, either in jail or prison, must help sound the alarm. Write, post, comment, share this information and advocate for the people who are sitting in prison who are at risk right this second. We as a society should not accept these standards for people who we have chosen to punish. Rehabilitate and reform is the motto of the American criminal justice system, not torture and neglect. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, we are, we are out there protesting about the George Floyd situation and, and Brianna and like there's, there's a lot of terrible things happening where essentially somebody is being dealt the death card when they should have gotten a much lesser sentence. So this is the scariest thing where you exponentially add that to like thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who could be getting a death sentence. And, and even people that aren't prisoners, because as you said, there's 200,000 people coming in and out of the prisons every day. So it's spreading. And, you know, like you said, according to the reports recently, the other countries that have really taken care of this issue the proper way are seeing the curve stay flattened, whereas we are seeing spikes. And it is because we did not take care of this one spot where the COVID-19 is just able to incubate and, and spread throughout our, our United States. Well, Erica, just real quick before we move on to session uh, section two, America is the single largest incarcerator of its own citizens among the developed nations by far, by orders and orders of magnitude. And I think the COVID crisis is shining a very bright light, a spotlight on the problems with America's over-incarcerative system. But let's move on to 
uh, our featured topic today. As early as 2015, the United States media was investigating civilian casualties at the hands of federal, state, and local law enforcement officers as the result of no-knock warrants. Breonna Taylor's death at the hands of yet another botched no-knock warrant is thus even more tragic in light of the fact that this has been an ongoing problem for nearly five years. I mean, this is like one of the scariest stories that I've heard. I mean, this is an innocent person, in fact, an award-winning EMT who was sleeping innocently. She had, she had nothing to do with what the police were involved in, and they just went in the wrong apartment. And they didn't knock, and they made the place a disaster, and they killed her. It's, it's, it's just uncomprehensible. So, Brian, can you just let everybody know, uh, just remind me even, like, what is the no-knock warrant? Where did it come from? So let's start with Criminal Procedure 101. The United States Constitution, Fourth Amendment, protects the citizens and anybody in our country from unreasonable searches and seizures. Any search and any seizure is considered unreasonable, is presumptively unreasonable, unless it has first been cleared and approved of by a magistrate through a warrant. Now, a magistrate also refers to judge. A no-knock warrant is a warrant issued by a judge or magistrate that allows law enforcement to enter a property and enter into your home without immediate prior notification of the people that are in that home by knocking or ringing a doorbell. In all of these cases, police must claim and demonstrate to a judge or magistrate that they have an absolute necessity to do so. Because remember, in the typical case, police are required to knock and announce themselves. Now, the reality is most situations call for a knock and announce warrant. In fact, jurisprudence, case law, as far back as 1604, all the way back in England, same man's case said that the warrant requirement always requires a knock and announce before law enforcement enters the home. But over time, the police have whittled away at that right. And as recently as 2006, the United States Supreme Court in Hudson versus Michigan reiterated that no-knock warrants are permissible under the United States Constitution. The theory is that law enforcement officers believe that the destruction of evidence could occur if they announce their arrival. Think of the quintessential scene from The Wire that involves a scene of an accused person, the subject of a warrant, flushing drugs down the toilet. It creates this exception to our Fourth Amendment right to be free from searches and seizures without that prior announcement and it lowers the requirements the police have to announce themselves before entering into our homes. So, I mean, that was a great explanation and, and history of why we have it. Um, what, what role did this play in Breonna Taylor's death? 
So in, in Breonna Taylor's case, the police asked for a no-knock warrant. Breonna Taylor was not the target of that warrant. Uh, her home was suspected of receiving packages uh, of a of suspected drug deal. Now, Breonna Taylor wasn't the suspected person of receiving those. It was just her address. And law enforcement from multiple prior cases know full well that drug dealers will have packages delivered to an unrelated address and hang out and wait until FedEx or UPS drops that package on the doorstep and then go and pick it up so that their drugs aren't connected directly to their house. So police should have known better from the outset. Police also should have known better from the outset because the warrant that they had was not a search warrant in this case, but was a warrant to arrest an individual, an individual that was already in the custody of law enforcement. Breonna Taylor was never interviewed as a part of this investigation. She was never a part of this investigation. There's significant controversy over what happened after the no-knock warrant was issued. But the law enforcement's report, Louisville Police Department's report of what happened, has all the classic marks of a cover-up. The report is only eight pages long and most of it is blank. The report claims that Breonna Taylor had no injuries, despite the fact that she had eight bullet holes in her. The law enforcement report says that zero force was used to enter the residence, despite the splintered and crushed door at the front entrance. So when are the police going to learn not to lie? I'm, there are at least three completely obvious, crazy things that can be proven quite simply by looking around. And when this is investigated, I'm like, how, how can they think they can even get away with that? She's obviously full of bullet holes. They obviously used a battering ram to get into the apartment. I mean, it's, it's just so out of hand at this point. Police have been conditioned for decades that lying in the criminal injustice system is permissible. It's even been condoned by the courts. So they think that they can get away with it. And honestly, frequently they do. It's only when citizens stand up, when criminal defense lawyers fight to demonstrate the absolute falsehoods that they put forward in these situations, that they're exposed. And unfortunately, they never suffer any consequences as a result. Now, the other things that are really controversial, Erica, about this situation is that upon hearing aggressive and unexplained knocking in this case, Brianna Taylor's partner went to investigate and, and justifiably and legally armed himself to protect himself and Brianna from what he perceived to be a home invasion. When the police kicked in the door, when they battering rammed through the front door, he shot at the police, thinking that they were a home in The right. police returned fire, and that's how Breonna Taylor ended up dead. Reaction to this killing has been slow because of the COVID pandemic, and it was reignited um, after George Floyd's death. Now, in Louisville, one officer has been fired and has suffered a scathing rebuke from the mayor of Louisville. The remaining officers involved in this raid 
have been placed on administrative leave. Kentucky has acted as the result of this and passed Breonna Taylor's law outlawing no-knock warrants. And of course, activists and supporters are advocating for the prosecution of the officers involved in this killing. Well, has anyone been held accountable for these mistakes that are happening? These, these mistakes that should absolutely never happen? What happened to Breonna Taylor is not unique. No-knock warrants are inherently intertwined with the war on drugs, through which sociological and anthropological studies have revealed that disproportionately African-American individuals are prosecuted and punished because of the war on drugs and suffer from the consequences of no-knock warrants disproportionately as well. Deaths as the result of an officer error in executing one of these warrants has been prosecuted against the officers in the past, and it's also resulted in dismissal of charges against the target or the victims of these no-knock warrants as well. In Texas in 2013, Henry McGee was uh, indicted and had to go to trial on capital murder charges when police officers executed a no-knock warrant on his home and he shot a police officer in defense of his pregnant wife. Um, this is just one example of how qualified immunity prevents civil remedies from officers who injure the life and property of people when they're executing dangerous no-knock warrants. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Mr. McGee had to go through the expense and the stress of uh, being charged with these crimes, and he had to defend himself. And of course, all of the trauma that goes with being falsely accused of a crime. Well, we've talked about that in the past and just being accused, never mind having to go through a whole trial because you wanted to defend yourself, will help you uh, lose jobs in the future and lose your family and have to rack up hundreds of thousands of dollars sometimes in, in law fees that you, you can't afford and maybe go bankrupt in, in the whole process and then lose valuable years if you're actually prosecuted for a crime that, you know, maybe you, you did, it wasn't a crime to commit, you were just defending yourself. So it's, it, it's absolutely unbelievable that, um, that this could happen, that somebody defending themselves from a no-knock warrant, um, you know, would be thrown in jail. Absolutely. And it creates this conflict between our fourth and our second amendment rights. Um, now, depending on the jurisdiction, uh, some individuals are allowed to uh, live under the stand your ground or the castle doctrine. We have the castle doctrine here in Ohio. Now, those rules allow people to use lethal force in their home under the castle doctrine or anytime they feel that their lives are at risk under the stand your ground laws. So a conflict arises, as in Breonna Taylor's case, when officers claim to act under the color of law, but their action can be easily misunderstood as a violent attack from a dangerous stranger. You consider the difference in this situation had the officers knocked on the door during the day, spoken with Brianna in person, 
regarding their purpose to search, asked her, have you received any strange packages to your residence lately? It's not out of the ordinary and it happens daily across the country without issue. They could have identified Brianna as a first responder, as a decorated first responder, and worked with her to identify the packages that were being delivered to her house. Unfortunately, because of the war on drugs leading to the militarization of police, police officers see everybody as a potential enemy, everybody as a potential threat, everybody as a potentially violent individual. And all of those labels apply even more so in the minds of police to people of color, which is why the very dangerous war on drugs needs to end in its entirety. And all of the policies and the militarization that resulted from that war need to be rolled back. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. It, with the government sending such mixed messages, how are we supposed to know how to act? The bottom line is this. The facts and circumstances of each individual situation will determine whether an individual has the right to defend themselves under their Second Amendment rights or whether they're gonna be criminally charged when confronted with a no-knock warrant. In Brianna Taylor's case, her partner was indicted for attempted murder of a police officer, which in Ohio uh, can be a capital offense. Now, ultimately those charges were dismissed, but he spent months in jail as the result of those charges. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of the scariest things that can happen to somebody to be falsely accused of of any crime or you know just to be trying to defend yourself and your family and then to end up in jail and and the prisons for a long time and have your entire life ruined as well as the lives of your um of your family that's absolutely right erica day in and day out i talk to individuals who find themselves in that situation, who find themselves having lived a law-abiding life and all of a sudden falsely accused of a crime. And they have nowhere to turn, they have no idea what to do, and they have no idea how they found themselves in this situation. And that's why we try to provide some solace and we certainly provide guidance to those individuals. Erica, thank you for joining me today. To become more informed about how the government is expanding the criminal code in response to the COVID pandemic, police and government accountability, no-knock warrants, and all of your constitutional and civil rights, check out www.tlobj.com. Find us on Facebook, facebook.com, Central Ohio Criminal Defense, and on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, at TLOBJ. You can also search for us on all of social media with the hashtags no walk, no talk, and no blow. We'll be back next week with a sui generis perspective on the next big thing in civil rights and the criminal injustice system, as well as a discussion of why police are allowed to lie to us, why the courts allow police to lie to us, and how and when they use those lies against us in segment two. Erica, my grandpa always told me, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Now, to that I add, if you do and you get caught, call me.
I'll defend your rights as I would want mine defended. 